0: Morning. Uh, You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to be today. In case you don't know me, my name is JJ. I'm one of the family members here at the Hill. Acts chapter 19. Now growing up in my family, in my household, when it got to be holiday time, that meant that it was time to begin working puzzles. Since everyone was home, all the kids, all the, the family members, it was one of the many things that we would do together in our house if we weren't already going out to visit grandparents and things like that. Now, as I'm sure that you have probably all worked a puzzle before, you likely know how important it can be to have all the pieces. We all get that same feeling when you know, our thrifty family member comes in with a puzzle that they got from a, uh, a yard sale. You know, we're uneasy because there's this feeling that if we get to the end of this puzzle and we're missing just one piece, or even a few pieces, it'll completely wipe the fun away that we had. And this is even more true if those pieces that we're missing keep us from seeing the picture that we're trying to put together. Last week we heard Jimmy preach from Acts chapter 18. It ended with information about a man named Apollos who... Uh, we gathered, was a believer in Christ. He, he taught accurately the things of Jesus. He uh, only knew the baptism of John, though he was given some instruction in the way. And then we see Priscilla and Aquila come alongside and fill in the pieces. They, where he was missing puzzle pieces to, to fully understand the gospel to the extent that he could enjoy it to, to the fullest, Priscilla and Aquila came in and filled in the blanks. Chapter 18 ended with Apollos continuing on from Ephesus to Corinth, and he himself began to powerfully help others put the pieces together. We pick up in chapter 19 now about the same time that Apollos is in Corinth with our brother Paul coming to Ephesus. And and we see that while he's coming to Ephesus, the first people he interacts with is 12 men who also are missing some puzzle pieces. What we first come to, as we read, is that while Apollos was missing a few pieces, still able to see the clear picture, these men are missing far more. They, they're missing more, and they cannot complete it without help. What we're going to gather from our text this morning is that our salvation and our sanctification must be marked by the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And for anyone taking notes, I'll just say it again. Our our salvation and our sanctification must be marked by the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. It's from this conversation that Paul has with these men that his time in Ephesus is springboarded. And we'll see how that takes off in a moment. But we're going to break it down into three separate sections. The first section will be verses 1 through 10. We'll see the Holy Spirit seals his people. Uh, Verses 11 through 17, we'll see that God sets apart or separates his people. And then finally, we'll wrap it up, the last three verses, the Holy Spirit sanctifying his people, verses 18 through 20. And because our passage is so long and there's a lot to talk through, we're going we're gonna to read through it as we go, verse by verse. So um, we'll, we'll get started here in just a second. But before we do, let, let's pray together. Let's pray that the Lord would help us see what we have before us. Father God, We thank you for the joy that it is to be here this morning, to know Christ. We thank you for the joy that it is to know that he paid the penalty for our sin, that while he hung on the cross and he claimed it is finished and he passed, that he did not stay dead but that he rose again. And so we know that it's true. We thank you, God, for the joy that it is that we now can live this life for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that this morning, as we look at the word, that you would help us to truly see what we have here. Help us to understand, Lord, give me the the ability to speak clearly, and God, let our hearts take it in and be changed. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So as we turn our attention to verses 1 through 10, as I said a minute ago, this is going to be under the, the... the banner of the Holy Spirit sealing his people, seal, S-E-A-L. So as we previously mentioned, Apollos was in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila fill in the gaps, and then he leaves and goes to Corinth. Paul now makes his entry to Ephesus. A few, uh, I guess, last chapter in chapter 18, he said that if it was God's will, he would return to Ephesus because he only stayed there for a short time. And evidently, it was God's will. He returns here just a a few short years later. Now, as Paul made his entry, he somehow runs into these 12 men that we're going to read about. So let's read verses 1 through 3 together. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples... And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. I think most of us, when we hear the term some disciples, we're inclined to to think some Christians but the conversation that comes after that some disciples kind of gives us a different idea about what was going on here. For whatever reason, Paul, after spending some time with these men in conversation, he saw it necessary to raise the question to them about whether or not they had received the Spirit when they believed. Now, to probably understand that question, what that really means, what, is, what Paul is asking, we're going to read Romans 8. Chapter chapter eight uh, verses nine and ten together should be on the screen if you don't have time to flip there so uh, feel free to take a look it says Romans chapter eight verses nine and ten you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him but if Christ is in you Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So what is Paul really asking here when he's asking these men, have you received the spirit when you believed? He's not just asking them if they have the spirit. What he's asking them is, do you belong to Christ? Romans 8 tells us clearly that we we cannot belong to Christ We cannot have life without possessing his spirit in us. Therefore, we understand from the word that the believer receives the spirit once possessing a saving faith in Jesus. Now, with that in mind, I think it's only fair for us to consider what we've already read in Acts coming up to this point. There's been two previous times where the spirit was not given immediately, where the spirit was held until after faith. That was Acts chapter two, when The Spirit initially comes at the day of Pentecost. And then we see in Acts chapter 8 with the the Samaritan believers coming to faith and the Spirit coming on them when, when Peter and John arrive on the scene. But we see that with those two times, both instances, it was very clear. God had chosen to give the Spirit in an appointed time for an appointed purpose. It was for the beginning of the church, the birth of the church, and it was for the confirmation of the welcoming in of non-Jews to the family of God. And so there was good reason that the Spirit was held until after in those cases. But having only a few recorded instances of this would prove that this is not the norm. As Romans pointed out, for us to be a follower of Christ meant His Spirit had come, that His Spirit had given life, that it had applied righteousness, and that it had remained. The Spirit is necessarily then the clear mark of a true disciple of Christ. So the response that the Ephesian men give gives some really clear, uh, it really clears the air about the confusion as to who they belong to. They respond to Paul that they must be missing some pieces. They didn't even know about the Holy Spirit coming. And if they didn't know about the Spirit, they must not have known about Jesus who taught that the Spirit that man needed the Spirit to be born again, and to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if they didn't know about Jesus, then they surely couldn't be his disciple. So he must be a disciple of someone else. The pieces they were missing, we see, were just not the same that Apollos had been missing, where Apollos needed some tuning, some tweaking. These men needed transformation. They needed something more. So then when Paul asked these men about their baptisms in verse 3, which we see is probably because they were already having conversations about these things, um, Paul is left to wonder then what kind of baptism could it have been if not into Christ. In hearing that it was the baptism of John, we will see now through verses 4 and 5 that Paul can easily walk them to the finish line of faith. So let's read verses 4 and 5 together. Chapter 19, verse 4 says, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul explains that while these men were prepared by John to turn from sin through repentance... The point of their repentance was not just for repentance sake. It was not just to be more holy. But the disciples of John were meant to to repent from sin, to turn from it, to be spiritually cleansed in preparation for the Messiah that was to come. And Paul shares very clearly, straightforward, he has come and his name is Jesus. So the reason that these men had not yet received the Holy Spirit, the reason that they couldn't have been New Testament Christians is because they had not yet heard of Jesus effectively making them Old Testament saints still looking forward, looking ahead to the one to come because they lacked knowledge of Christ Jesus. Their prior baptism of repentance did not prove effectual. And so Paul told these men for them to follow in obedience to Christ, what they needed to do is turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, and so to do so by being baptized into His name—an act of obedience—and without delay, we see that these men are baptized, signifying that their sins, as they go under the water, were being washed away. As they they uh, commit themselves to that, they are showing that as they go under, they are are um, putting themselves with death, with Christ in His death and His burial. And then as they come back above the water, they are committing themselves to to Christ and his resurrection. And as we continue reading, we see that their faith, their obedience, it proved true. It proved to be what it needed to be. We see the Spirit then come. We see the Spirit now mark these men and seal these men in verse 6 and 7. Let's read together. Verse 6, it says, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So just as the Spirit had elsewhere in the book of Acts, the Spirit now comes on these men with power. He he gives them distinct giftings that are only explicitly given in a few other places in the book, in, in scriptures. He's given both tongues and prophecy at the same time. And he does so to equip them for the coming work of the ministry, which we will see later is going to be to serve this blossoming church in Ephesus. But these gifts were also a sign of spiritual power. And we're also going to see later why that's important, especially, specifically here in Ephesus. So hold, hold that thought. But while it's easy for us to get excited about these spiritual gifts, it's, it's easy to to consider how the Spirit brought it about and and want to think and and dwell on those things, I can almost guarantee that these men were more excited that they had now trusted in the right person. They had now trusted in Jesus, the Messiah, the one they had been hoping for. Paul would later write a letter to these Ephesians. We know it as the the letter of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in our Bibles. And in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, this is what it says. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. These men knew the reality of receiving the Spirit by faith in Jesus. And knowing that they were sealed that they were saved, that they were now guaranteed this inheritance of eternal life. And they weren't certain of this because they had been correctly baptized and they weren't certain of this because they had correct doctrine and they weren't certain of this because they now had these new spiritual gifts that I'm sure they were excited about, excited to use for the Lord. But they were certain of this because they had placed their faith in Jesus, the true Messiah. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit had now sealed them he, he had indwelled them. He had marked them children of God. And he had marked them with an inheritance of eternal life awaiting them. He, he had begun to change them from the inside out. So what I, I would ask you today, do you know this reality yourself? Have you, like these men, understood that your sin has put you in opposition to God? That there's a problem and that you're part of the problem? And have you understood that your best efforts and even your greatest, most consistent religious actions cannot undo the brokenness that you and I have brought about? And have you understood that it is Christ Jesus that has come, that has bled, that has died, and that has risen for you? And that he's done so to to pay for your sin, to, to bury it, to put it away. To give you eternal life where he took death. To give you eternal life instead of the hell that you and I deserve. Have you received the spirit who seals us in the faith? Have you received him in the great transformation that he brings? Have you been born again? Does your life look different than when you had first believed? Do you belong to Christ? Do you desire to obey Him out of the thankfulness of your heart? If the answer for you is yes, quick and easy, then we can praise the Lord together in the hope and the grace that we have and hold on to that. Hold fast to that hope. Let the Spirit sealing you be the encouragement that you need for the the times that are hard, because they will be hard. Things will not be easy in this life. But if you're wrestling today, if if you're looking at your life, if you're unsure where you are with Jesus, if you are unsure where you are with the Holy Spirit, I would love to talk to you after service. I know many others down here would love to talk to you after service. Don't leave today with an unfinished puzzle. We don't have to make excuses. We don't have to to let this go by. There's no need to wait. Come to Jesus. As we look back at our text, verses eight through ten, we're going to see that the impact that this uh, that was made in Ephesus in the surrounding areas after these 12 men come to faith. So let's read verses 8 through 10. It says, And he entered the synagogue, he being Paul, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. And took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, as Paul normally did, when he entered a city, he, he went to the synagogue. He began to proclaim and preach that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah that had come, the one promised in the scriptures. And just as the world had rejected Jesus and just as the the cities before this had rejected the message of Paul, we see here that Ephesus was going to be no different. As Paul reasoned with them, as he made his case for Christ, some continued on in unbelief, even going so far as to publicly slander the way of Jesus. Now, Paul could take the hits himself, but he was not going to stand for the spotless Christ to be made evil in the sight of others. And so he withdrew from the synagogue. He took his disciples with him, and he went to a public place. He went to the Hall of Tyrannus. And because of the public nature of this meeting place in such a prominent city, Ephesus being the the Roman capital of Asia at the time, because of all that, the word says that after only two years, all of Asia all around had heard the word of the Lord. Now, this is not the Asia that we know today, so I'll say that, but this is still an impressive accomplishment. This was a large area for word-of-mouth communication. Just as the Spirit had used the persecution in the early church to spread the gospel, here the Spirit again uses the sin of man to elevate Christ. And so as we move to our next section of the text, we're going to see that this message, the gospel, was not just going out as one message among many but that the Spirit was elevating the gospel message by empowering Paul to do great miracles. We're going to call this section, The the Spirit Separates His People, or The Spirit Sets Apart His People. We're going to begin just by reading verses 11 through 14 together. So verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin Were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, as Paul preached the gospel message, as we just read, the the Holy Spirit accompanied the message with miraculous works. Sickness was cured. Evil spirits were expelled, and all this was done with just amazing ease. Paul had only to touch a cloth, and the miraculous would begin to take place. And this should remind us of how uh, in the Gospels we see Jesus, he's walking along, and the hem of his garment is touched, and the woman is healed. And it should remind us of what we read earlier in Acts with Peter. As he walked down the road, his shadow would fall on people, and sickness would be cured. But as we have seen in the Gospels and in Acts, These miracles occur with the purpose of validating the gospel message. These things were not truly being done by Paul alone. We know that. But they were being done by the Spirit of God through Paul. And God would not do such thing through a man spreading lies. So Paul's message was proving true. And at the same time, the name of Jesus he preached was proving powerful. This then leads us to the curious case of the seven sons of Sceva, a family of traveling Jewish exorcists. Seeing the the great success and the, the ease that Paul had with these evil spirits by acting in the name of Jesus, they seek to find the same success. While attempting to exercise an evil demonic spirit, verse 13 tells us that they invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. But where God approved of Paul, and where he validated Paul's message, he was going to do the opposite here. Where miracles validated the gospel, we will see that humiliation takes place and invalidates these men and their messages. Let's read the end of verse 13 again together for a few, few verses. Let's see. It says that they said, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So after the evil spirit openly recognizes the authority of Jesus, after he relays his familiarity even with Paul, it then makes clear it's not aware of nor is it concerned with these men. By saying these things and then physically humiliating them, sending them away beaten and naked, this evil spirit completely invalidated them and their practices. The Judaism that they held to, the the Judaism that their father was a high priest under, the Judaism that did not embrace Jesus as Lord and Messiah, was invalidated. All the while, Paul's gospel message was more revered. And verse 17 shows us that the name of Jesus was lifted higher and higher. Verse 17 says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now, it's important for us to know Ephesus was was not just a blank spiritual canvas. Ephesus was large. It was important as a city in the Roman Empire, and that meant that it was full of idolatry. It was full of mysticism. It was full of occult practices. As we will see in the coming verses, it had become common for the people in Ephesus to take part in these occult practices, even owning books so that they could teach themselves and teach other people how to partake in it. And just to be clear and make sure that we all understand what I mean when I say occult practices, this is anything that has to do with a knowledge and manipulation of the spiritual forces in this world. The idea was that through these practices, through these spells even, spiritual forces would have to bend to your manipulation, whether to cure sickness, to raise the dead, to bring you wealth, to maybe it's just to control evil spirits like these men were trying to do. And this is not uncommon with what we see today. Today, we still see so-called fortune tellers setting up shop, turning a profit. And we have seen recently the rise of spiritual trinkets, these special crystals or rocks that promise you some sort of benefit when you just use them right. Even Facebook posts have been weaponized this way. They promise you money. They promise you blessing if you'll just share and comment this. But church, we must see what the Ephesians saw. The Ephesians saw the reality of the demonic and evil forces in this world. Things that they had been acquainted with through their own practices, and then the Ephesians saw the authority of Jesus over all of these forces. And so the reactions were to rightly and healthily fear the Lord Jesus. They turned, they held his name high. They were no longer going to trust in these false powers. His name was able to do what no other name could. So there was no doubt that after this incident that God was drawing the line. There was people who trusted in false powers and those who trusted in Jesus. And with that line drawn between Jesus and all else, we see that the Holy Spirit began to prune his church in verses uh, 18 through 20, which we're going to begin reading. We see that he begins to prune his church. And we see he sanctifies his people. Let's read verse 18 through 20 together. It says, Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Through all that was taking place, by Paul's preaching, by the miracles that were being done, and through the humiliation of these seven sons of Siva, it appears that many were coming to faith in Christ. But the Siva brothers, their failure came with an understanding that these new believers could not just mingle their, their faith in Christ with some lesser demonically inspired magic practices. The Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness, who had convinced them that Christ was Savior and Lord, he went to work in their hearts. He went to the work in the hearts of the Ephesian believers. And those who had been previously practicing magic clearly saw their sin now with disgust. They saw how serious their sin was. They saw that it was something dark, something harmful, something that must be put away. Several months ago, there was a man in India that, unfortunately, well, he went viral in an unfortunate way. I'll say that. Uh, The man was videoed handling and playing with a, a deadly snake. And he was familiar with snakes, so it seemed... Just another way to gain some status, some notoriety, maybe some popularity. So he toyed with it. At one point in the video, he even ends up putting the snake around his neck. And it's at that point that the snake bites him. And this man ends up losing his life. And he lost his life because he didn't take seriously the threat that the snake posed to him. He didn't rightly measure the danger that he was putting himself in. Now, thankfully, that was not the case with the Ephesian believers. The Spirit led them to see the seriousness of their occult practices, and the Spirit led them then to confess their sin, to repent of their sin, trusting Christ's sacrifice was going to cover it. And this was not just some lighthearted repentance. This was radical Repentance no great wealth could have been amassed at the selling of these books some maybe judas would have argued we could sell them and feed the poor these believers sought to rid themselves instead of these books and they sought to rid the world of such evil they they saw that there was greater gain for the kingdom by taking the loss in their pocket they saw that there was greater gain in the kingdom for the world losing these books. And church, while we may not be casting spells in our free time, we too must allow the Holy Spirit to show us our sin and how serious it is. Each one of us, I'm confident, has become too familiar with our own sin. To quote a few from Colossians 3, we have sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, Anger, slander, obscene talk, lies. This morning we we read from Timothy. We heard several things as well. Like the deadly snake, we toy with it, we mishandle it. Some of us write it off as, as minor. It's not that bad. Some of us ignore it because it's convenient. But church, we know that it's for these very things that the Savior Jesus had to give his life because sin brings about death. And Jesus was willing to pay the price for us. It's from these things that the Spirit now desires to cleanse us, to take away from us for our good. I want to encourage you today to pray. We're going to do that. In a moment, I'm going to... to Give us some time to do that. And I want you to take the time to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the sin that you've grown familiar with. And maybe it's not just one, and maybe it's not small. But more than just asking Him to reveal it, I want you to ask the Spirit to give you the power through Him to repent of that sin, just like the Ephesian believers did here. I'm sure many of you already have something that he's placed on your heart. Maybe something you've been letting slide for a while. Maybe something you've just realized. Maybe it's things that you've pushed down and tried to forget. Ask him to help you trust in the sacrifice of Jesus today. That those sins are paid for. That they've been paid for and all you have to do is leave them behind ask the Spirit to empower you to leave them behind, whatever the cost may be. If that means that you need to burn your own books, if you need to throw them away, if if that means that you need to go into sinful relationship, if that means you need to go home and flush some addictive pills, if that means that you just need to ask for accountability at the cost of your pride, whatever the cost, pray that the Spirit would help you to radically repent to turn from your sin and to hold Jesus high, to hold him as worthy. Let your radical repentance be an act of worship. And don't miss that this repentance is an act of worship that was done together. It was done in community, before the sight of all people. Church, when we do that, when we worship Jesus in that way, when as a body we let things go so we can take hold of Christ, Verse 20 happens. Look again with me at what it says. Verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. As the words and evil books burned, as the hearts of the Ephesian believers worshipped Christ, in radical repentance. It's the word of the Lord that continued, that increased, that prevailed mightily. That is what we're here for, church, to push forward God's word, to see the nations believe and worship our great God and King Jesus. It begins first with us turning from sin, Trusting Christ has forgiven us by his sacrifice on the cross through his resurrection. We do that at salvation. And the spirit indwells us. He makes us new. He allows us to take steps forward, becoming more and more like Christ. And then daily we turn again. We see our sin. We turn again. We turn from our sin. We turn to Christ. We do it again. We do it again. And we turn and proclaim this message of salvation, of the gospel, to all of those around us. We can only do these things, though, if we have the Spirit, if we've been led by the Spirit, if we've been born of the Spirit. There's no life, there's no real power to advance the gospel message apart from the Spirit. We must let our salvation We must let our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, be marked by the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you guys time, like I said. We're going to pray. I want you to, again, consider yourself, consider your sin. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to see, what you need to turn from. Ask Him to give you the power to do it. Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you for the great grace that we have been given in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that it was there that our sins were paid as his blood poured out. God, we thank you that through the cross you show us the seriousness of sin. God, something must die. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to take the death we deserve. We thank you that you lay out for us, giving us your spirit, the ability, the way in which you would have us live. God, we thank you that you don't do so. You don't tell us these things just to control us, just to manipulate us, God, but because you love us. God, you've revealed your your word to show us your love so that we can be with you. God, I pray that together as a church and individually, God, I pray that you would allow us to see our sin rightly. God, allow us to see the things that we have let slide. Allow us to see the things that well up in our heart that we have not noticed the things that we care not to look at because it's uncomfortable. And God, help us then to take our eyes from those things and to turn and see Christ again, to give it to him, to see it nailed and paid for on the cross. God, give us the strength to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. And Lord, help us to do that together. Help us to find the accountability that we need. Help us to share with each other. Help us to repent together, to confess together, to see Christ together. We love you, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.